0: Okay, so, presents. Check. Decorations. Uh, check. Christmas clothes.
1: Yep, check.
0: The turkey. You forgot the turkey. Dunn Stores has extended opening hours over the Christmas season, so you'll have plenty of time to get all those little jobs done. Opening times may vary. Check your Dunstores Stores app or DunnStores.com for more
1: info. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. All right, run it.
0: Welcome to Mama Mystery. These intros are a joke anymore. I'm Kelly,
1: and I'm dramatic, and I'm also your host. (laughs) Oh, my
0: God. Okay, so welcome to Mama Mystery. I'm Kelly. I am your host. And
1: I am her husband that she loves more than anything, her co-host, Austin Evans.
0: Got that right. All right. Are you ready for today?
1: You have been telling me I'm going to have a fit.
0: Yeah, you're going to be like... Oh my god. By the time this is over.
1: Let's go. We have had some tamed ones, so it's time to dive into a crazy one.
0: Yes, I've been giving you some relatively tame ones. Dee Dee Blanchard and Gypsy Rose. That one was a little intense, but that was a Patreon exclusive, so if you want to listen to that, you gotta go to that. But our last episode was a little tame. You said that, so... This week, I'm dishing out one that might give you some nightmares. We're going from one extreme to the other. Let's hear it. Okay. I want to begin by saying that every time I begin researching and writing these episodes, I always feel a little uneasy about detailing the lives and history of these killers. Because I never want to give the impression that I think they deserve recognition for what they've done. I just think, personally, for me, the reason I'm interested in true crime And I've said this before is to find out what makes people do the things that they do. It's something that I'll likely never be able to understand, but sometimes you can see a common theme or you can find an underlying issue. Um, And I, I guess I just think it's interesting, but I just never want to like um, disregard or disrespect like the memories of the people who are victims in these stories. So I just want to make that really clear.
1: I think that, for a new listener, mm-hmm. it's a really good thing for them to hear that and be reminded, mm-hmm. and also that like if we laugh and stuff, like yeah, we're still having fun. Like this is life, but we're not making fun of the case. Obviously. Never, never so, making like, fun of that's a victim. Good for, yeah, so I think that's good for a new listener to hear. So if you're a new listener, that's good. And if you're a frequent listener, then hopefully you know us well enough. You already know this. to not be like you guys are jerks. Yeah, because no, you're probably you not listening. Know us. And if you're a new listener and then you think you guys are jerks, then just don't listen.
0: Yeah. Uh, then see ya. Okay, so um, this case, though, our killer is a bit of an anomaly because few things could have prepared his friends or family or any listeners of this story for the heinous things that he was about to do later in his life. This is the story of Israel Keys.
1: Israel Keys. So...
0: Israel Keyes was born in Cove, Utah on January 7th of 1978. His family was Mormon, although I don't think that they were consistently Mormon. I don't think they were like born and raised Mormon. I think from what I've understood and read, the mom kind of bounced around between religions. I don't think they ever really settled in just one. But he was the second oldest in a family of 10 children, when he was three, the family moved to this like secluded wooded area outside of Colville, Washington. And by then, his parents converted the family to be fundamentalist Christians and bounced around between churches that Israel described as being Amish to then becoming more militant militia-type churches when he was a teenager. So one of these churches was called the Ark, and they apparently practiced white supremacist Christian identity ideology. And the Keyes family became close friends with their neighbors, the Kehoe family. And later on, two of the Kehoe sons would go on a killing rampage in the name of their Aryan Republican army in 1996, killing a family of three in Arkansas. So this just kind of gives you an idea of the type of people they were around.
1: 1996 in
0: Arkansas? Yeah, that's what the Kehoe sons, like the brothers, did later. So the Keyes family lived in extreme circumstances from the type of church they worshipped to their home life. They lived without electricity. They homeschooled all the kids. Some kids even had to sleep in tents every once in a while. All the kids held jobs to earn money, but they were all under the table jobs, like working on farms, cutting firewood, doing things like that. Um, growing up, Israel was obsessed with guns. This is just one of your red flags. He said he would shoot at houses with BB guns and break into homes, starting fires in the woods. I mean, these are all huge red flags, De- destructive tendencies without any regard or respect for other people's property is a red flag. So he would break into nearby cottages and homes and steal guns, and then he hid the guns in this secret spot in his house. But his parents eventually found his stash and made him apologize to the owners and return the guns. So later on as a teenager, he broke away from the church, completely abandoning his faith, which caused a huge rift between him and his father, although they still kept in touch. It just created tension. Um, and then he became interested in Satanism and decided that he would plan a satanic ritual involving a young woman. He planned this all in his head without admitting this plot to anybody. And he started staking out places and people just kind of waiting for his prey to present itself and come to him. And that's when he found himself along the Deschutes river in Colville, Washington, near a place that was popular for float trips. And one day, He stood on the beach watching tubers float by, and as this big group of tubers floated by, there was one girl left behind. She was the last tube in her group. So Israel walked out into the water, grabbed a hold of the girl, dragged her to a remote campground bathroom, tied her up with ropes, and raped her. Oh, my gosh. His plan was to strangle her, but the girl, who he believed to be between the ages of 14 and 18 at the time, kept talking to him. She was terrified and kept telling him that she wouldn't tell anybody if he just let her go. Israel said she was pretty smart because it worked, and things never got really violent like they could have if she had been fighting him. He said he was too timid and not violent enough, so he let this girl go. This girl never reported the incident, so no charges were ever filed, and we don't even know who this victim was because she truly never came forward.
1: So how did you know the story?
0: Because he later admitted to it. Wow. So in 1996, a girl named Julie Harris went missing from the exact same area. And she was a double amputee whose prosthetic feet were found by the same Colville River a month after her disappearance. And Israel lived in the area at the time, but he hasn't officially been linked to her disappearance or murder. But you just have to wonder. And she's never been found, but it just seems kind of coincidental, right? Right. So when Israel was about 18 or 19, his family was living in Oregon, and that's when Israel decided to join the army. He was stationed for about six months in Egypt and made. Um, he recalled making trips to Tel Aviv with his army friends to find and like rent prostitutes. And around this time, he decided he was an atheist and he became a big fan of the Insane Clown Posse. And this is not to dog anyone who's a fan of the Insane Clown Posse, but that band has always just kind of freaked me out. And I just. It just makes me nervous.
1: I don't know a lot about them, but I just know, like, they seem kind of satanic.
0: I I don't know. I I truly don't know. I know that they have come out and done some, like, charitable work, Um, and so, you know, maybe they're trying to kind of, like, regain kind of a little bit of a better image so they're not just, like, all bad, but I don't know, man. That band just makes me nervous. I don't know. But anyway. ICP, brother. And when he came home from his deployment, he was stationed at Fort Lewis near Seattle and met a woman who he ended up having a daughter with. And he lived with her and their daughter until they eventually broke up and he started dating someone else. At age 23, Israel was honorably discharged from the U.S. Army and he moved to Alaska where he started a construction business working as a handyman, contractor, and construction worker. He lived with his girlfriend who was a nurse practitioner, his young daughter, and two pugs. And they were seemingly normal. They enjoyed things like hiking, fishing, hunting, kayaking, camping, like all those Alaskan activities. But his urges to kill and destroy kept brewing, and he started making plans and rules for himself. Like, he wouldn't commit crimes too close to home. He wouldn't commit crimes twice in the same place. He would always make sure that his victims had nothing in common. They'd be different ages, chosen at complete random. He did, however, try to avoid any crimes that would result in a child being involved because it just made him think of his daughter. But it didn't matter if he was hurting someone else's daughter as long as she wasn't close in age to his own daughter. And he made sure to choose lightweight victims so they'd be easier to transport. And he also started building these, quote, murder kits, that he would hide and bury in random wooded areas. And they would literally be these Home Depot buckets filled with weapons and tools. No way. And when he would get an urge <clears throat> to kill, he would go retrieve these kits. And the kits contained things like shovels, plastic bags, flashlights, money, weapons, ammunition, and bottles of Drano. And since he was caught, these kits have been found, Austin, in Alaska Washington, Texas, Wyoming, Arizona, and New York. So we're not just talking about like random spots in Alaska, they're all over the country. He had big plans.
1: What the hell?
0: Yeah.
1: That's crazy. Think about that guy flying around, going to Home Depot, buying these kits.
0: Mm-hmm. And he never, he always made sure to do things with cash. And he never left a digital trail. He would rent cars. He would pay for hotels with cash. Like, he, he planned things very meticulously so as not to get caught. Although, eventually, he did caught, be, get caught. Otherwise, we wouldn't be telling this story. But, Damn. you know, I'll tell you exactly how it all happened. But he never did feel bad about anything, nor did he ever go into detail about what he did because he did them for himself, and they were memories for him and only him. So we know that he robbed multiple banks, he set homes on fire, and he killed more than one person. Um, He killed four people in Washington, at least one in New York, and another woman in New Jersey. And one of the first killings that he did admit to occurred in June of 2011. So Israel traveled a lot, and one of his trips, obviously he traveled a lot to like stash these m- right. murder kits, but one of his trips was to Ex- Essex, Vermont, where he'd buried a murder kit just a couple years prior. He randomly chose a house with an attached garage, and he broke through a window in the garage. He then entered the house and cut the phone lines before making his way to the master bedroom where Gosh, he found... The
1: premeditated shit really creeps me out. Yeah. Like to think like, okay, not only am I going to break in this house and murder them, I'm going to break in this house and I'm going to cut the phone line mm-hmm. so then I have time to do whatever I want.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ugh, creepy.
0: So he enters the master bedroom where he found Bill and Lorraine Courier. He woke them up. He led them to their car where he first let them put on slippers so they wouldn't cut their feet on the broken glass from the window. And then he put them in their car and drove them to an abandoned farmhouse. So he knew exactly where he was going and what he was doing.
1: To his murder kit.
0: Yeah. When he later discussed his crimes with investigators, he admitted to binding Lorraine in the house, bludgeoning her husband, Bill, in the basement. And when Bill said, where's my wife, Israel shot him. He said Lorraine was feisty and tried to fight him. So he sexually assaulted her before he killed her. He then poured Drano on their bodies before packing them into garbage bags and hiding them. And to this day, their bodies have never been found.
1: Does the Drano like, deteriorate the body? Or what does it do?
0: I'm guessing it does. I'm yeah. guessing it destroys evidence, probably deteriorate, d- deteriorates a lot of tissue.
1: Right.
0: I don't think it deterioro- deteriorates bone right. unless it's sitting on there for, you know, uh, a long period of time, but I don't know. He then took the murder kit and hid it in a new spot in Parishville, New York. So his last known victim was Samantha Koenig. and this would be in my opinion his most heinous and disturbing crime and thankful thankfully one that would get him caught. Um, and you know keep in mind, we know that he did commit a lot of other crimes. We just don't know the details. we mm-hmm. don't know the names we just know that they happened. Right.
1: Probably a whole lot of other stuff happened.
0: Yeah. So, prior to the event that would get him caught, Israel had been staking out locations and meticulously chose the location of his next crime. He ended up choosing the Common Grounds coffee shop because it was one of few businesses in its area that was open late and it stood alone because it was one of those small little kiosk coffee shops with a drive-through, so similar to like Scooters Coffee. Mm-hmm. So Samantha was 18. She was working at Common Grounds at the time. And if I didn't say this already, this happened in Anchorage, Alaska. Okay. But um, she was working at Coffee Grounds. On February 1st... I meant to say Common Grounds. Um, On February 1st, 2012, her boyfriend of about nine and a half months arrived to pick her up at the end of her shift. And when he got there, she was not there. Assuming that maybe she got a different ride home, he leaves... And when he gets home, he gets a text from Samantha's phone that says, quote, I'm spending a couple days with my friends. Let my dad know. So this was super unusual. And he immediately told her dad about it. And the next morning, her dad calls police to report her missing. They go to the Common Grounds coffee shop to review the security camera footage. And what they find is gut-wrenching. And you can find this on YouTube. In the video, you see there's like four different camera angles. There's two that are outside. One is like shown, you know, right as like on the entrance. The other is from the other side. And then there's two inside the coffee shop. So in the video, you can see a man walking through the parking lot, just slowly approaching the coffee shop. And then it's right before they're about to close. He comes up to the window and he orders an americano. And you can't hear what's being said. You can only see the footage. So then you see Samantha making the drink, and when she returns to the window to hand him the drink, she appears to be really startled and literally takes a few steps back. She kind of she puts her hands up as if there's being a gun pointed at her. And you can tell she's super nervous. She immediately reaches over turns off all the lights after obviously being directed to do so and then you see someone who we now know to be Israel crawl through the window and into the coffee shop with Samantha oh
1: man that's creepy
0: it's pitch dark so you can kind of only see like their shadows and there's a little bit of light that's coming in from the outside that is you know like allows you to kind of see what's going on but it's really dark Israel forces her to her knees and zip ties her hands together. Then he guides her out of the coffee shop and through the parking lot, and you can see them walking together through the parking lot until they're completely out of the view of the camera. What isn't caught on camera, though, is that Samantha made a run for it before Israel caught up to her, tackled her to the ground, and told her to cooperate if she wanted to live. They walk across the road and into a parking lot between an IHOP and a Dairy Queen where Israel's white truck was parked. Israel told investigators later that he told Samantha multiple times that he was just doing this for ransom money. It was all just for the money. Samantha told him that her family didn't have any money, but he assured her that the community would come together and get the money to him. He promised her that if she just cooperated, she would make it home safe. God,
1: can you imagine the fear of no, that girl? No,
0: I cannot. When he asked her for her cell phone, she said it was still at the coffee shop. So he actually drove all the way back to Common Grounds with Samantha bound up in the trunk, truck. He re-enters the coffee shop to retrieve the phone and leaves. He texted her boss, telling him that she had just had a bad day and would be leaving town for the weekend. And then he texted her boyfriend too, that weird text. Then he took what, the battery.
1: What, what weird text? The, the oh, weird text, text about, like, I'm
0: going with my friends it, let right. my dad know. Um, and then he took the battery out of her phone. Then he asked her where her debit card was. And she told him that she shared an account with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend had the debit card. So he takes her to her house, locks her in a storage shed in the freezing cold.
1: At her house.
0: No, no, no. This is at his house. He He takes takes, her
1: to his house.
0: Yes. There's like a, you know, there's his house. And then to the right, that's kind of in the driveway. There's a storage shed. It's just a tiny storage shed. He puts her in there, turns on radio, like way up loud so that nobody can hear her scream. And then he leaves for Samantha's house to go get the debit card out of his truck. And while he was at Samantha's to To go get the
1: debit card out of her boyfriend's truck.
0: Yes. 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 So he goes to Samantha's house to get the debit card. Her boyfriend comes out, yells at him, and then runs right back inside to get help. And her boyfriend had no idea at the time that this was the guy involved with Samantha's disappearance. No idea. But when he came back out, Israel was already gone with the debit card. He just had no idea. He took the card. Israel took the card to an ATM to test the pin that Samantha gave him and see how much was in her checking account. He realized that it worked and then he returned to the shed and raped Samantha. Oh my gosh. So the next day, her dad, James immediately pioneered a huge search for Samantha. People were donating thousands of dollars towards a reward. Volunteers were scouring the area, posting flyers, ribbons, pictures of Samantha a few days into the search, new surveillance footage comes out from the night Samantha disappeared, and it's from a nearby business, and it shows Samantha and Israel walking to a white pickup truck. It's like a 1999-ish white pickup truck, and the truck driving away. But the thing is, thousands of trucks like this are registered in the area, so they get the FBI involved to help. The next morning, okay, so she's abducted on the 1st. The next morning is the 2nd, Okay. Israel leaves with his family for New Orleans to go on a cruise to Mexico. They had this planned this whole time, and he knew it. The entire time they were gone, Samantha was in their shed, but Israel was the only one who knew about it. He returned. How old was Israel? So at this time, Israel is 34. Gosh. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, they get back a couple weeks later on uh, February seventeenth.
1: She's left in the shed the whole time. The whole time. Oh my god. Radio probably blaring.
0: Right, I'm assuming, yeah. maybe. I don't know, actually. I just
1: I'm trying to like you know, Picture put yourself it. in that situation. God
0: So um he starts preparing his next move. And Samantha's boyfriend gets a text from Samantha's phone that says, quote, Connor Park, sign under pick of Albert, ain't she pretty? They race to Connor Park and they find this bulletin board with a picture of a missing dog named Albert. And under that poster was a Ziploc bag. And the bag had a photocopy of a Polaroid of Samantha and with it a ransom note. The picture of Samantha was in um, black and white. And it was a little bit blurry because it's like a copy of a picture. I'm going to show you this picture. And next to Samantha's face is a hand holding a newspaper from four days earlier. And you can actually find this picture online. I'm going to put it on our Instagram page, mama.mystery. It's
1: it's, it's just kind of got her face to the left of the newspaper, and the paper's being held, and it says Anchorage Daily News Mm -hmm. from four days prior. Mm -hmm. Gosh. And what's the ransom note say?
0: And um, in the note, he demanded $30,000 to be put into her checking account. And Samantha's dad studied the picture to make sure it was really her, Her, and he agreed that, yes, it was Samantha, but that it was weird because her hair in the picture appeared to be in a braid, and Samantha never wore her hair in braids. But either way, they got a hold of their bank and started working out a way to get the money into Samantha's account so they could get her back. And the bank agreed to let the FBI knew, know as soon as money with, was withdrawn and from where. So a few days go by, and finally there are three withdrawals from ATMs in Anchorage. And Israel is wearing a mask and a disguise each time um, that he goes to an ATM. And even though they got immediate notification of the withdrawals, the police were always too late to get there. Yeah, they
1: probably showed up there they're always behind. three to 15 minutes.
0: Yeah. So then there's another withdrawal a few days later, but this time it's in Wilcox, Arizona which is close to the Mexico border in southeast Arizona. Then there's another withdrawal in Lordsburg, um, New Mexico. On March 10th, there's a withdrawal in Humboldt, Texas.
1: March 10th, and what was the day this all started?
0: February 1st. So it's oh. a little over a month now.
1: And how, when was the money start getting put in the bank account?
0: Uh, right after February 17th.
1: So this is like...
0: So like he waited a few days for before the first withdrawals in Anchorage, the withdrawals in and then he starts driving.
1: And doing the withdrawals in chunks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In chunks, he's taking out the daily limit, and then he's going to... You know, the first faraway place was in Wilcox, Arizona, and then he's in Lordsburg, New Mexico, and then March 10th, there's a withdrawal in Humboldt, Texas, and then there's another one in Shepherd, Texas. And investigators are still unable to identify who is making the withdrawals, but they are able to see that the person is driving a white Ford Focus. And then finally, on March 13th, 2012, Texas Highway Patrol Corporal Brian Henry remembered seeing an APB on a white Ford Focus and noticed one while he was on duty. APB. All points bulletin. So it's just like a okay. yeah, it's like an alert that they put out put out to like an
1: amber
0: alert type deal. Kind of. Yeah, but it's like to police officers, mm-hmm. like, hey, be on the lookout for this vehicle. So he keeps an eye on it, and when the driver made a small traffic infraction, I heard it was for going like three miles over the speed limit. That's what I heard. I don't know. I, I can't find that in any article anywhere, but anyway, he pulls him over. So he asked the driver for his license. And can you imagine the adrenaline he felt when he saw an Alaskan license with the name Israel Keys? Oh, he smokes. So they search the car and they find Samantha's cell phone and her debit card. And just like that, Israel is arrested and extradited back to Alaska. But she's not in the car. She's not in the car. So
1: she's back in the shed.
0: I'll get there. So over the next several months, he gave investigators very few details about all the crimes that he committed. But the most heinous that we know of is the fact that Israel Keyes killed Samantha the night he abducted her. After bringing her back to the shed, he sipped on a glass of wine while he told her what he was going to do to her. And when he finished raping her, he choked her to death left her body in that freezing shed while he went on his cruise. And then when he got back from the cruise, he revisited the shed. He propped her up in a sitting position, put a bunch of makeup on her, fixed her hair in a braid, just like he did to his 10-year-old daughter, and sewed her eyelids open.
1: I was just going to say, how were her eyes open? What?
0: And took a picture for that ransom note.
1: No way.
0: Then he admitted to having sex with her dead body. That picture you just looked at, she's dead in that picture. Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah. That's effed.
0: Yeah. It still gives me chills just retelling it. Because when I heard that for the first time, I literally said, no, like out loud in my car while I was listening to it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. No way.
1: Gosh, it's like jaw-dropping, just crazy.
0: Yeah. So after posting the photo and ransom note in that park, he dismembered her body and dumped it in a frozen lake. And he meticulously chose the location because um, he made sure it was in the deepest part of the lake. It was like frozen on top. So there was a lot of people ice fishing and they would set up these little shelters for their ice fishing. So he built himself like the same type of shelter so that he wouldn't stick out. And he even did some fishing. He later told investigators that he caught some fish that day while he was dumping her body. And then he took the fish home and ate them. Well, like the same day he's dumping her body in that same lake. So during the hours of interrogation, he was very reluctant to release details about all of his crimes because those memories were sacred to him and only him. He was a control freak who had a strong need to always be in control, which is obvious. Even when he is being interrogated, he's very arrogant, he's flippant, and at times he comes off as bored while he's talking to detectives. He'll yawn. He makes jokes. He laughs even about some of his crimes. At one point, he says, the information that I have still could come in handy while he just chuckled to himself. Oh, my God. And he taunts them, saying, I can tell you the rest of everything that happened if I can get a cigar. And then he laughs laughs to to himself and to them. He also demanded an Americano, same drink that he ordered from Samantha that night. Were they
1: giving him this stuff?
0: Mm Mm-hmm and a peanut butter Snickers bar before he would start talking, which they did give him. So you could tell that he thought and strongly believed that he was the stro- the smartest person in the room. And Israel admits to investigators that he is a monster because at one point he was like, you got your monster, and just smiles and laughs about it. And nobody knows who he truly is as a person. And he still has tons of information that he intended on keeping to himself. And he kind of plays this like cat and mouse game with investigators, making them think that he'll give them a little something only to pull back moments later. So he told them early on, he would give them more if they could guarantee an execution date for himself because he didn't plan on staying around much longer. And he was also concerned about the publicity of this whole case because he didn't want this getting back to his daughter eventually, which is ironic how he can care about the well-being of his own daughter, but not Mr. Koenig's daughter. He said, quote, I want my daughter to have a chance to grow up and not have all this hanging over her head, end quote. So he makes these deals with them that he'll give them info if they can promise him anonymity. But then it all comes out on the news, like literally the very next day. And he finds out. So he gets pissed and tells them, you know what, I'm changing the rules and shuts it down. And the FBI realizes that they need to build back credibility with him so they can find out about his other victims, right, that they're not aware of. And he tells them, he gives them like little bits. He'll say, they'll say, how many are there? And he'll be like, "Eh, there's less than a dozen. But at this point, they're only aware of like three of them. And this goes on forever. Every single time they'd bring him in, they'd provide him with candy, coffee, cigars, whatever he wanted. See, and how do you trust him, though? Right.
1: So, Gosh, it's infuriating.
0: Mm-hmm. He got to get out of his cell for the day to come meet with these guys. So he's like milking it and taking his precious time and giving them details investigators wanted. I, I
1: know this sounds evil. Mm-hmm. I wish it was the exact opposite. I right. wish rather than giving him what he wanted, they were torturing him to get the information. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do too cuz if anything he's like loving this control.
1: Right. And it's I don't know, you're just giving the guy so much power. Mhm. Whereas like
0: which is exactly what he wants.
1: Yeah, like how about you're going to get punched in the face and then you're going to give us the information. And then if you don't, it's going to happen again. Yeah,
0: we're going to pull off all of your fingernails and toenails one by one until you think give that us information. Evil, but seriously. But I mean, he's evil. Right. Punishment fits the crime.
1: Eye for an eye.
0: Exactly. So then at one point he says, I know you have an agenda and a deadline, but honestly, that's of no concern to me. Literally says that. He admits to killing someone in 2001 and again a couple shortly after, but he won't say their names. Another victim, he says, he left in a way to look like it was an accidental, accidental death and says that it worked because to this day they believed that it was an accident. But he won't say who that was either. So... You have to realize, Austin, there are so many missing persons cases or cold case homicides that are unsolved that could possibly be committed and linked, committed by and linked to Israel Keys. But we will never know exactly how many, who they were, where they were. Nothing. Any of
1: the details. He'll just give enough to make it a tease.
0: Yeah, because then on December second of two thousand twelve, in the ultimate act of control and cowardice. Israel was found on the floor of his jail cell in a pool of his own blood after he sliced his wrists with a razor blade.
1: Gosh, that's like the worst. It's like he just got out of everything.
0: Right, exactly. And in his cell, they found 11 drawings of skulls that were used, that he used his own blood to like draw these skulls. And it was believed to represent his 11 victims. There was also a drawing of a pentagram and a suicide note that just rambled on about the art of murder, and it was kind of like this poetic ode to murder, but it gave no real insight to any of his other crimes. But, you know, ultimately the most terrifying aspect of this case, in my opinion, is that Israel Keyes came off as a totally normal guy. He looked normal. He led a seemingly normal life. He had a daughter. His girlfriend was a nurse practitioner, so she's got to be pretty smart. And yet, he lived a completely different second life that nobody knew about, not even his girlfriend, the people closest to him. It reminds me of uh, BTK, who was this like Boy Scout leader, member of the church, dad. Who turned out to be a sadistic serial killer too.
1: What in the world? That is super creepy. When you put those pieces together. And you think of it's like, oh, that could be my friend. Yes.
0: You never know just how close you come to people like this. Because they could easily be your freaking neighbor. But their facade is just so finely tuned. You know, he was tested. um, Like, he had his intelligence tested. And he had, like, above average but not, like, crazy high intelligence. But, I mean... He was very calculating, very meticulous about his crimes. I mean, he had to be. He was a
1: manipulator.
0: Yeah, I mean, he had to be smart. He's not dumb, although he did start, you know, getting done later on. Like, you know, he started making mistakes, but um, yeah. And then to just take the easy way out and just off yourself—like, what a coward! what a coward and he has the audacity to say that he's worried about how his family will react his daughter his mom he's like I don't want to give my mom a heart attack well you should have thought about that before you started doing all this stuff man you get a video game like why don't you just take it out on Grand Theft Auto like
1: but this is like one of the things like are you born like this or why did this happen mm -hmm. are you born bad
0: Yeah, are you born bad? I think he started showing signs at a really young age. He had this obsession with guns and destruction, and then, yeah, switched over to. I mean, but he was also raised in this, you know, extremist church, if you can even call it that. That, you know, he was surrounded by a lot of people too. So it's kind of like, was he born bad or was he surrounded by bad people? Because the people he was surrounded by went on to do bad things also. However, his other family members, like out of ten kids, he's the only one that did something like this. So yeah, you have to wonder.
1: Gosh, it's definitely a nightmare case. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That
1: is so big, big time key. nightmare. Israel keys.
0: Well, that's it, folks. Folks, folks.
1: folks. You really pronounce the hard L in that. I
0: know folks. Um, anyway, that's all, Sheeminy folks.
1: Christmas. Well, hopefully, freaks enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking weirdos.
0: And we'll be back with another case. Um, and I don't know what it's going to be yet, but it'll be a good one. It'll be crazy. I'm Share sure. it with
1: your friends. Have a killer week. A killer week? Whoa. That was kind of no pun Why'd intended. Why'd you just say that? Mama, mystery out. Bye. Oh.